0: everyone to the Farm CPA Podcast presented by top producer. I'm Paul Nefer, your host. And today we're going to have a conversation with John Hohenberger from near, I'm going to say near DeKalb, Illinois. Is that, am I correct on that, John?
1: Yeah, we're in DeKalb County, so DeKalb is in, in the region here.
0: Okay, so what's the nearest city to you then, I guess is probably the better way of saying it.
1: Uh, to the south of us, our mailing address is Leland. And that Leland, Illinois is in LaSalle County. We uh, farm two miles just north of the southern edge of DeKalb County. Okay. Okay. That's, uh,
0: you know, that's uh, now Illinois. Do they have typically smaller counties or bigger counties? I'm guessing it's more smaller counties or do you really know on that?
1: Uh, One of the larger counties is LaSalle County, which is to our south. Okay. Okay. DeKalb is smaller. And Lasalle is larger.
0: Of course, out in my neck of the woods, I'm now in Colorado, but I was in Washington. I was in Oregon. Oregon's got like I think four counties that are about eight to ten thousand square miles each. So uh, you know that's uh, that would be a very large county in in the Midwest anywhere. So that's uh, that's just the differences in the U.S. Yep. So as we always like to do on these uh, podcasts, we like to start out with your background. So how about a brief, uh, well, actually, before we talk about the farm operation, the the background on that, uh, let's get your personal background, where you grew up, which may be right there, where you went to college and all that good stuff.
1: So I grew up um, in Indiana. I uh, was born south of uh, Indianapolis in Shelby County, and when I was 10 years old, we moved up. Uh, my folks were farmers and we were uh, grain and livestock and we moved to uh, Clinton County and we were there for two years on a tenant farm and then we my folks decided they were going to buy their own farm in Boone County so I was in Boone County and went to school there which is uh, about 25 miles south of uh, West Lafayette and I went to Purdue got a couple of degrees in mechanical engineering and proceeded in uh, 1973 to move to the Quad Cities to work for John Deere as an engineer in the combine factory. And there I was in the engineering department and we worked on the combines and I was in the test division eventually in design development, combine design and development, and had a... um, Eight-year career there working on computers and advanced combine concepts and did a lot of traveling for John Deere and that sort of thing.
0: So during that time period in the mid-70s, now of course I was a teenager, we were mostly red, we were, well, we were always red as far as combines, we had 151s, 403s, 453s, and then the 1470. During that time period out in the northwest on the hillsides, we had John Deere's, there was a 95, but then a 6602, and then a 6622. What was the main combines back there in the mid-70s for for John Deere in in the Midwest? When I had uh,
1: started there in 74, I think the 6620, the, the new updated version of the 6600 had just left the drawing boards and at that time the uh, hillside combines eventually led to the side hill combines for the hills in iowa and that sort of thing and here in my home area well actually my home area now uh my wife and i after we got married we i still worked at john deere for a couple of years there and then in 1981 we came back to her her farm in Northern Illinois here. And we started farming. And at that time, the predominant combines here were 105s and the 6600s and the 6620s were not far behind in the development here locally.
0: And when did, um, I guess this is, uh, uh, I'm going off topic a little bit, but I'm sort of curious on it, you know, of course, International or Case IH or whatever you want to call them came out with the rotor. When did John Deere switch over from a cylinder to a rotor model? Well,
1: wasn't that wasn't that long ago? I can't tell you the exact date, but I can tell you where I was where I was when I saw a whole truck or a whole uh, train load of 1460s come off of uh, the International plant, which was just just uh, west of the John Deere Harvester Works, they shared, they were both on the Mississippi River there, and uh, we were in the engineering room, it was a gigantic room, and all the drawing boards were next to each other, and I mean, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you could just yell across the room, or, you know, get their attention, and talk to them on the phone, but you're all in one big room, and someone goes, hey, the, I see red combines on the rail cars, and so we all ran down to the rail yard and, and looked at all these new red 14, 1460 combines coming being pushed down the tracks by this engine so when the engine left we started climbing around the combines looking at them and uh so that would have occurred sometime around i don't know 1974
0: 1975. yep yeah no it was uh, uh and of course we had the hillside combines uh, my dad actually flipped one and Luckily didn't get killed, but it was not a fun experience for him. I know that. But, you know, no, no, those uh, those hillsides. Uh, even today, um, I've slid. Well, not slid. I bucked a combine all the way down, almost into a ditch. But uh, luckily, I remember my lizard brain kicked in, and I remember to hit the right brake instead of going into the ditch. I just made a nice, uh, immediate turn to the right and missed the ditch by about a foot. So that was sort of fun. But uh, <laughs> but uh, so you. So you met your wife when you were at John Deere, and then she said, hey, I have a nice uh, farm operation. Why don't you come home and take care of it? Is that that sort of how it happened?
1: Well, it could have, but actually I'd gone back to Purdue to see my sister, and it turns out that my wife was the counselor on the floor in the dorm where she was staying, and I ran into her at the lobby. And so while I was waiting on my sister, I ran into my wife. (laughs) <laughs> so from there it was uh what we know today
0: so you ran into her and then so how did it how did it progress to where you finally got married
1: uh i sent her a postcard with a bunch of guys and i went skiing from work and from college and uh, we went skiing and i sent i sent sue a postcard back to the dorm there at shreve hall and so we kind of just carried on the conversation from there. So, the,
0: yeah, so John, for these younger people back in our day, you know, we actually wrote letters or postcards to our right. future spouses and, uh, right. and and you had to wait like three or four days for the mail to show up. You know, it wasn't this instant, uh, instant response that you get these days. Right. Oh, so what, what is the. What is your current farm operation? Just sort of go review for the audience here. What what is what do you farm um, and, and so on and so forth?
1: Well, we have uh, uh, basically uh, three crops. We've got corn and beans. And this year we kind of went out on a limb and we had one farm that was uh, such a, it needed a lot of different things. And we decided we were gonna grow wheat And uh, we had a good wheat crop off of it. And we've actually got uh, double crop beans that are doing very well. And uh, we got those coming up right now. But for the most part, we are growing uh, corn and soybeans. And when I say we, it's actually, uh, I started out uh, working with my father-in-law here on 400 acres when we moved back to the farm. And, um, So as Sue and I were raising her family, she was, uh, or is, has been a pharmacist by training. And so she was the the one that left the farm every day to go to work. And I was the one that stayed at home with the kids and farmed and worked with my father-in-law here on the farm. We um, currently have got a corporate structure in place And this is from some of our different activities. And you take your information from various sources across your life's experiences. And I've gone to different meetings and gone to different conferences and been exposed in some leadership things from Illinois Ag Leadership. I ended up going to TPAP down in uh, Texas with uh, Dan Kleinfelter and his group and top producer, and top farmer with Howard Doster and his folks, and I think it really probably for me started back when I was in uh, junior high and high school. I had one teacher who, uh, his name was Earl Hook, and he was a farmer, and he was a mechanical engineer, and he lived not far from me, and uh, I had him for five, five years, almost six years in the... When I was just finishing up my my secondary education and I think he was one of my bigger influences on my uh, whole thing, but. uh, We currently have a farming structure that is corporate Uh, my son. uh, came back to farm here in 2010 and his path very similar to mine, he uh, left Purdue with a degree in mechanical engineering and went to work for uh, CNH. at Burr Ridge, and he was in the planter division. So based on the different combinations of things that we've been working on, our structure is a C-Corp that we currently have, and Kurt's the president of it, and it's a closely held family farm.
0: Yep, yep. And then I also, if I remember right, don't you do some custom spraying or some other custom operations or do I have that wrong? No, we
1: have we have had in the past a custom, custom spraying operation. We've also done custom tiling. We have our own tile equipment and we install our own tile and we do custom farming. We have had clients for that. And all of that has uh, had different evolutions and transitions to where we're at today. Uh, we're looking forward to doing some more tiling this fall on the ground that we own and uh, so we've got still got the spraying operation in which we do primarily for ourselves okay and the custom farming has morphed over into direct uh rental for uh we rent the rent farms
0: from people okay and you know i was back visiting your farm i think back in 2013 2014 time frame and at that point, you decided to put in a irrigation pivot. Uh, uh, you know, you're in that northern Illinois where I typically don't see irrigation. What, what was your main reason for putting in the pivot or circle or whatever they're called back in the Midwest out in our area <laughs> called a pivot? Um, sure. What was the main reason for putting them in? And has it worked out the way you thought it would? And would you do something different uh, if you were to do it over again?
1: We... I have had a variety of influences and one of them was from our uh, our main insurance agent and he he introduced us to introduced us to a a grower to the west of us about oh 55-60 miles that grows uh seed corn and for seed corn and specialty crops they like to have irrigation and there wasn't anybody in our area that was doing it but we uh, leading up to 2012 we had already been looking at possibilities of irrigation and it's a limited um, availability for well drillers and also the, the equipment installers And so we kind of had our name on a list in 2012 to get a get a system in place well we didn't didn't get it in 12 but we got got one installed in 13 and we put two of them in one in 13 and one in 14 15 and uh we've got um one circle is about 250 acres and the other one about 125 and uh this summer it was really interesting we've got a drone and go up and look with aerial pictures and from the drought that we had in the may june time frame we irrigated then and of course we started getting rain in july and then at this end of july came we went back into another drought in august and we we started irrigating again in august and, of course, no no real measurable rain until we got to Labor Day. And I have to tell you, Paul, that the circles that we have are noticeably different in foliage, color, plant size, et cetera, for corn and beans that are underwater.
0: And has that resulted in additional yields, or or is it just... The fact that when you do have drier conditions, you're able to go out there and get get needed water for the plant.
1: well, i think I think it has uh, without a doubt, uh, improved the yield prospects from what we can see. It also helps in weed control. We during the dry period, we had uh, this one large field, and part of it is irrigated and part of it not. And where we have added water. The weed control is so much better. Uh hmm. is you know, it, it herbicides need water for activation. And even though you may, you know, have residuals that you put down, they may not have all they need on the first uh moisture that's sitting there in the seed bed. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was curious. I was flying home a couple of weeks ago from somewhere, I can't remember where, that doesn't matter, but I was looking outside the plane as we were coming into the Denver airport, and I actually saw at least two, if not three, circles that were a full section. You know, six hundred. Well, they wouldn't be quite six hundred and forty acres, but I'm just sort of curious: how long does it take that circle to go all the way around? You know, so uh, uh, it seems like uh, is on uh, just just as efficient
1: on our big circle. It's a 1800 foot tower, roughly. To put a half inch on, it takes uh, about uh, two and a half days.
0: Okay, okay. So, you know, as long as it's not too dry, that uh, that's actually, and then the hundred and a little bit less than that to put a half inch on?
1: Yeah, it takes about 30 hours to put on a half inch. And, and both the okay. wells are about uh, 800 gallons a minute. I think is where the standard um, pull is on a well. And how deep do you have to go on your wells? Well, Paul, we're in a we're in the swamp. We're in the last sections of the township to be settled here, and uh, I think we've got 100 foot wells, but the water comes within 15 feet of the top of the ground.
0: Uh, yeah, you're just gonna make me jealous because my well in Missouri, I think uh, I think we went down a thousand feet or more, and uh, that was uh, not a cheap well to drill. So, but th- mm-hmm. but that's 1,600 gallons permitted on that well, so not too bad. But uh, okay, we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor message, and we'll come back and uh, talk about some succession planning and so on. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness welcome back everyone to the top producer podcast i am paul new for your host and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Joe, john holenberger from illinois so john you came back to the farm it was your you know essentially your in-laws farm came back with your wife. Now you have Kurt involved. Sort of go through, how did this succession happen from maybe from that generation above you to you? And now how's the succession going from you to to Kurt and so on?
1: Well, part of uh, what, what we've gone through with uh, the TPAP program and all the other conferences is that your exposure Uh, opens up your eyes to not only the people around you, but to the presenters, and I've been real fortunate to have had uh, some individuals that showed up in my life at the right time. Paul Neifer was one of them. Uh, I ran into him at uh, TPAP. Some of the people here from some of the other conferences, one of them was uh, Kevin Spafford from Legacy by Design, and as I was looking at the fact that my family, where I grew up, was a farm family and I have two sisters. And my wife's family, she has two sisters and we're involved in the farm here. It it became uh, painfully obvious after looking at our current laws that were in place in the uh, late 19th 1900s and early 2000s that they weren't very friendly for activity to go from one generation to the next. So we worked on uh, some different trust things. We worked on some things that were with LLCs, and then we worked with our own corporate structure, and we were able to develop plans for both families that um, they weren't... uh, (laughs) without their challenges, but uh, at the same time, they did accomplish the goal of helping pass the family farms on and to make it so it was uh, uh, affordable in some respects to um, handle all the the day, day-to-day things that needed to happen and some of the long-term vision things that needed
0: to happen. And again, I, I think, um, you know, because I'm a I'm more on the profession side, but I do have farms myself right now. You know, there is a little bit of a cost to doing that. But I think what farmers need to understand sometimes is your return on that cost can be pretty high. I mean, if you hadn't done any planning, John, you and your family are probably looking at, you know, potentially a million, two million, five million, whatever the number is in estate taxes versus maybe spending up front 10 or 20,000, 30,000 or something like that. Is that what you found in your situation?
1: Pretty much. We've had uh, uh,
0: (laughs) different lawyer bills
1: and different uh, setups, you know, all along the way. And I couldn't really put a total number on it. But back in 2012, there was a window of opportunity that was allowing for gifting to happen. Yep. And and until the gifting phase was... uh, implemented we couldn't do anything uh as affordable and once that became obvious a lot of the other planning that we'd already started and done it all fell into place as a a way to uh, handle some of our uh, possibilities and our philosophy has been that you only pay for farm ground once And the second thing is that corporations and LLCs only own depreciable assets and that uh, we're able to use trusts to manage a lot of other items that happen. And then we've been able to uh, work with the challenge for corporations to move money out of the uh, taxable area into the into the private hands by using various other tools.
0: Yeah, and actually one of those tools that you've done both, I think, in the past and then maybe looking at doing again is a split interest. So for our listeners out there, can you briefly describe what a split interest transaction when you're dealing with farmland is? So there is a... Um, set of
1: rules and regulations and sections that all come to to pass that are available. The split interest has to do with the assignment of at a point where property is purchased that the farming corporation has the beneficial interest in it for a given number of years. And depending on the years, um, there is a, percentage that is developed through the tables and the current interest rates. So we're able to use the corporation to pay for part of the principal and interest every year on farmland purchases. And then then, the private side has to make up the difference. Uh, So you have to forego the income. And so if you can manage the, Lack of income, while the corporation is doing what they're doing, you can uh, make that transition work.
0: yeah, and the and the nice feature about this is that you know a, a corporation, a C corporation is sort of what we call a double tax entity. You know the corporation pays a tax, and then the um, shareholders pay an additional tax when that money comes out. Now, the nice thing right now, as long as they don't change the rates, is the corporate rate used to be a top rate of 35%. Now it's down to 21%. And then over on the individual side, it's a qualified dividend. So it's a top rate of 20% or 15%, or it could even be zero. But the nice thing about the split interest is as that payment's being made by the corporation, that sort of is reducing that built-in gains tax, I'm gonna call it, it's not the correct term, but it's sort of a built-in gains that you're pushing it out to the shareholders sort of tax-free because at the end of that period, the shareholders own the land basically free and clear and there hasn't been a dividend that's come out from from the corporation because the corporation got the use of the land for that 20 or 30-year period. That's right. Okay. Uh, do you see any hiccups that are coming down the road or do you think uh, you got everything pretty well set up uh, to prevent some of those hiccups? I think... We have to expect hiccups um,
1: as the generation, and I would consider I was born in 1950, and I think our generation has continued to change the rules in about every area as they get older. One of the rules that you first saw change was the development of IRAs, and then they go, well, we don't like IRAs as much. We we're going to make something called a Roth. <laughs> well, we're going to change the rules on Roths, and then we're going to change the rules on IRAs, and then we're going to change the rules on Social Security, and then we're going to change the rules on dividends and interest. And I I think corporate earnings are also subject to more changes. I think structural structural issues in the farms are expected to have more changes. And currently, I know there are a number of people that are leaving C-Corps to go to S-Corps for various reasons. And I expect this to be a fluidized um, concept from now till uh, the cows come home. I just don't see anything written in stone to hold our feet to
0: where we're at. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, anytime a congressperson uses the word permanent, I, I just go that that really until you change it. I mean there is no such thing as permanent in tax laws no so do you um you know we maybe have some possible tax law changes coming down the road uh supposedly you know the tax cuts and jobs act changes that were put into effect during trump's administration most of those expire at the end of 2025 so in 2026 we revert back to the old rates uh, are you worried about that or is that just something hey, we'll deal with it when we come to it. Well, Paul,
1: it's funny you should mention this because I think this probably points out the importance of having people in your circle of uh, decision-making and influence. You need to have uh, an accountant that's uh, up on it. You need to have a lawyer that's up on it. You need to have a, a lawyer that's your corporate lawyer, one that's your personal lawyer, and you'd like to think that, uh, from a update perspective, that you're able to at least uh, have the group thinking together about how this, the possible changes or the new changes or the lack of changes could influence your operation. And there are other people that need to be on your Uh, accountability team. I mean, uh, you just can name a lot of different people besides suppliers that uh, we have to have. And I think the better your circle is that compromises or composed of these individuals, the better off you're going to be prepared.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I I think Personally, I think there's a chance that some of those changes will get extended, uh, but I think there'll be a battle between the Republic, well, right now there's a battle between the Republicans and the Republicans anyway in the House, but uh, uh, there'll there'll certainly be some changes that the Democrats will want to go along with. So uh, we'll see, I mean, we're, we're gonna have a federal deficit, you know, with the interest rate uh, increases I think what is, I was calculating a 3% increase in the rates is an extra trillion dollars of interest debt that the U.S. government's going to incur on the debt. Um, You know, that, you know, they're going to have to pay for it somehow.
1: Yeah, there'll be some changes for that.
0: Yeah. Now, now let's go off of a, a bad topic. You know, I don't want to talk about taxes anymore. But uh, uh, who was your mentor? And I think you've already mentioned maybe one of them uh, in your earlier days. But uh, who who do you view as being your mentor?
1: I think at currently <laughs> there, you know, during each stage of your life, I think Paul, there's uh a, there's a, a different need or different uh, individual or individuals that supplement your life with thoughtful concerns. And I think uh, early on, I think it's probably our mother and our father. I, I think, you know, that migrates over to school teachers. I think that migrates over to uh, maybe some close friends. I think uh, during your college years, you've got different, People that uh, you know you've been involved with or see operate, and I think as we get into the work workflow and the workforce, and later on developing your careers, part of it's based on you know just who you're around and wh- who do you see doing things that you want to know more about. And I think we've been pretty fortunate to go to conferences uh various parts of the country and meet people and see people and thankfully people you know answer their phones they'll they'll uh converse with you you'll establish relationships um you fit you kind of fit into one of those categories for sure and some of the people that we both commonly enjoy so um i think the The last part of this whole deal boils down to your satisfaction or where you're at in your personal life and growth and your you know, have you reached your life's goals or are you struggling with that or how you're uh, developing things with your family and grandkids and what challenges you're you're looking at? I, there are so many um ways that you can um get involved today either you know strategically or locally or you've got friends on the internet that you you know visit with or text with and so uh, you know i think it kind of varies by individual but i'm so thankful that we've had great people to be able to work with paul
0: yeah and then, uh, what is your hobby, or do you have a hobby besides farming? <laughs> besides farming,
1: uh, I think one of the one of the hobbies that I've got has been a, a um, appreciation for uh, the Indian culture that's been here in Northern Illinois, where I grew up in Indiana. There was an Indian culture there, and they left artifacts. And still today uh, there are artifacts to be found in the areas that we farm. So I enjoy uh, looking at those sorts of things. There is, uh, on personal health wise, I, I've uh, I've been involved in more things that I'm curious about in my personal health and uh, interactions and how our bodies work and the things that we're, uh, you know, we take for granted that we should pay more attention to uh, hobbies. You know, I, we li- have an old house that we, uh, live in. It was built in the 1908 period of time. And so we've got house projects that we get involved in. They're kind of like hobbies. And then, uh, my, uh, grandkids and my children have all got things that we're interested in and, and following them. And, uh, My wife has got huge flower gardens that I I help her with minimally, but still have to be there to do some basic things for her. So that's part of an ongoing process in keeping up the landscape around the house and buildings where she does the majority of it, but I still get them all. What, uh, how many grandkids do you
0: have? We have eight grandkids. Uh, We're we're at four, so uh, we might, might get one more. I still got two sons that aren't married. I don't know if they will get married, but uh, uh, four four is definitely a good number. i can, I can handle that. So, but, uh, so is there anything that keeps you up at night? I think the the
1: one thing that uh, I can't say that keeps me up at night, but I am the the um the concern about either black swan events or geopolitical things that are uh, are um, an, an issue that, of course, are uncertain. But I think the uh, the hardest thing as I get older is to discern good information, and, and I think we are in an information society, and to be able to delineate that which is. White noise and that which has got substance is a uh, is a full time job.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, finally, what's your uh, definition of success in farming?
1: One of the one of the reasons that uh, Sue and I came back to the family farm was that we wanted a place to raise families. And um, at the point where our oldest daughter was five months old. When I was working for deer, I'd been gone three out of five months traveling and it just didn't seem like that was a a place I wanted to be on a long-term diet of. And so I think um, being able to raise a family on the farm, year to year to be able to continue to have growth in various areas, uh, I think a lot of people look at financially, you know, you've got to have uh, not more, it's got to be better than survivability. I don't know if there's a magic number or a, a, a quantity that you could associate with it, but I think there's certainly the, uh, there has to be an element of some, some form of growth. I think the uh, portability from, generation to generation has to have uh, an element in here that you do things it's not not necessarily for you we put in tile because it's the thing to do it makes it brings value to what we have it's an improvement to uh assets that we have and it has value to future generations uh, we know that regulations come and go, and we might not always be able to do those sorts of things.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, good. Anything else you want to add, John?
1: I just wanted to say that it's really been a pleasure working with uh, professionals like yourself, Paul, and uh, the the crew that you keep around you and have been involved with. I know that the struggle is real in maintaining and transitioning to to from from here to the next generation and i think we have to be able to look not necessarily in where we at when what we have with today's eyes but we have to look and maybe think about what it means to somebody else can you as an individual uh have an influence or help someone that um could be could be a benefit to them. And they don't have to be a blood relation. I think sometimes bringing individual new set of eyes into a situation has got a lot of benefit that um, we don't always appreciate. It's hard, it's hard with family, it's hard without family, it's hard to, to do things, but I think we need to be always aware that um, there's nothing new under the sun (laughs) that that there are people willing to do things we just have to ask
0: yeah yeah totally agree well again john thanks for taking time out of your day and uh, i'll have to come by for another visit sometime i'll have the combine seat ready for you paul (laughs) okay thanks john again this is the uh top producer podcast and this is paul nefer your host signing off